1, 21 to 29. Before we read, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that we can gather in this place on this day and hear about who we are and our relationship to God and Jesus. And he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the years I've been a minister, uh, I constantly have people come to me to talk about the things that they're struggling with. Uh, and in fact, as I talk to Christians uh, really, and this is true cross-culturally, it's just about everywhere, uh, we all tend to talk a bit about you know, our problems or our faults, uh, our failures. Uh, uh, very seldom do, do I encounter a Christian, for example, who says, yeah, I, you know, I really feel like I'm praying the way God wants me to pray, uh, and, and I'm really getting a blessing out of that or I'm really feeling like I'm reading the Word of God like God wants me to read. Most of the time I talk to Christians and they say, well, I'm not praying enough. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not reading the Bible enough. Uh, or if I talk to Christians uh, many times, and, and you can do this in a balance of humility, but uh, when I talk to Christians, very seldom do I hear Christians say, yeah, I've really been growing uh, in the fruit of the Spirit of patience. You know, lately God has shown me how much more patient I am and how much more loving I am. And it's really, really exciting to me to see how I'm growing in this. Most of the time I talk to Christians and they say, no, I, I, oh, man, I'm just, I think I'm going backwards. I'm not as patient as I need to be. Or I'm losing the patience that I had. Uh, or I don't know about this goodness in my life. I'm not seeing the, the goodness in my life, and, and I'm really struggling with that. And, and so we, we talk about what we're struggling with. We get hung up on our faults and our failures and our imperfections. And the problem is that if you are hung up on your faults, if you are focusing on your problems and your failures and your imperfections, what you are doing is undermining your hope. And if you undermine your hope, you will fail to live into the reality of who God says you are in Jesus Christ. 
if we undermine our hope, then we will fail to live as effectively in the workplace. If we undermine our hope, then we will struggle to be the husband or wife God wants us to be, uh, the follower of Jesus God wants us to be, because all of these things grow out of hope. That's why Paul said three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And even though the greatest of these is love, if you don't have hope, your love will be undermined and your faith will be undermined. Now remember, as uh, we've been talking here these last number of weeks about hope, we've given our definition, Christian hope is an earnest expectation of good, good outcomes, and a good future based on a true knowledge of God and God's promises founded on a relationship with the Father through the resurrected Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we need to do about this? How, how do we deal with the reality that we all live with that we don't live up to the standards that we set? That we are filled with imperfections. That we do fail from time to time. That we do sin from time to time. How do we learn how to focus on the hope of what God is doing in us? What do we do? And obviously, I think the, the passage today speaks into this situation and says some incredibly important things to us. And I want to point out five things briefly that I feel like this passage is saying to us. <clears throat> First of all, we need to understand what Paul is saying here at the beginning. He says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. So we were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil, but now we are reconciled by the death of Jesus so that we are holy and blameless. In order to have hope, we need to understand this fundamental truth about us. We were once aliens. We were once hostile. We were once doing evil, but now, through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled so that we are holy, blameless, and above reproach because of what Jesus has done in us. Even when we fail, even when we sin, even when we're filled with imperfections, because of the reality of what Christ has done, we are holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's the first thing we need to have hope. The second thing that stirs up hope in us is that we have heard the gospel proclaimed to the whole creation and we have already responded in faith. The very fact that you guys are here in the middle of a Thursday afternoon in the middle of the week is some degree of an indicator that you've responded to the gospel by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have responded to this gospel proclaimed by faith, you have hope. It is for you. It is a truth for you. It is a reality for you. If you've responded by God, to God's grace by faith, you responded to the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and surrendered your life to Jesus, 
you have hope. You have hope. A third thing that begins to stir up this hope in us, if we acknowledge it, if we recognize it, is that as saints together in the church, we have received the revelation of the mystery, especially through the ministers provided by God. In this case, it was Paul, but we all can see around us that God has provided those who have proclaimed this hope, we've responded to this, and as the church, as the body of Christ, as the people of God gathered together, we have received the revelation of this mystery of all that God has done in Jesus Christ. Our lives are lived together as the body of Christ on the basis of the revelation of this mystery. If you don't have hope just because of what God's doing in you, then certainly you need to have hope because you see what God is doing in the people around you. This is one of the reasons why it's so essential for us to have a regular church fellowship that we're deeply committed to and we're regularly engaged with. If you are not engaged in the life of the church, the local church, which is part of the greater church, the greater body of Christ, if you're not fully engaged in that, it will always hinder your hope. Some people think it helps, but it doesn't. Even if you think you can sit at home on a Sunday and get better messages on the television, it's not true because church is more than what you hear. It's how you live together. And together, we have received the revelation of the mystery of Christ Jesus. Together, we have been constituted as the body of Christ. And consequently, when we know that reality, we have hope. The fourth thing, which is really the central point, I think, in, in this passage in some ways, is that we have hope because we have Christ in us who is the hope of glory. If you are a Christian, you have been united with Jesus Christ. Your spirit is now united with Christ's spirit. That's how we are holy, blameless, and above reproach. Because we are in union with Jesus Christ. That is our reality. We are in union with Christ. Christ lives in us just as we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And because Christ is in us, that is a promise that your faults, your failures, your sins, they do not define who you are. They do not determine who you are. They do not determine what happens to you. Your faults, your sins, your failures, the things that we all have, they do not determine your future. They do not determine whether or not you have hope. And tomorrow... If you feel like you have more faults and failures than you do today, that feeling does not determine your hope because Jesus Christ lives in us. Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, is connected with our spirits so that we have life. And because Jesus is in us, because Jesus is connected to us, we always have the hope of glory. 
the hope that the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ will happen in and through us. The hope that we, as we continue to walk with Jesus over our lifetime, will continue to manifest ever-increasing aspects of the maturity of Jesus Christ. Christ is in us, and that is our hope. That's the hope of the glory that we will experience, not only in this life, but especially in the life to come. Christ in us, in a sense, is the promise, is the reason why we can have this earnest expectation of good, good outcomes, and a good future in our lives. Christ is in us. That is the hope of glory. That is our hope. That's the basis. And we say, okay, wait. That's all well and good. But how can we have such a hope? We can have such a hope because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have this hope because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. One day he's going to come again. In the finished work of Christ, in the reality, the historic truth of who Jesus was and all that Jesus accomplished in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, that is the basis for this hope. We can know that Jesus is working in us and when we live from that basis of that reality of the resurrection, as we live out of that, we can have a confidence that God is working in us to produce maturity. That God, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, is making us more and more mature. Now what happens if you fail? Your failure is not a sign of immaturity. Everybody fails. The key issue is that you keep going. The most mature people will fail, and sometimes fail spectacularly. But they get up, and they keep going, and the hope is stirred within us. As Christians, we, don't need, we certainly don't ignore our faults, our failures, and especially our sin. God takes sin very seriously, and we must deal with sin through repentance. There's no question about this. There's no excusing any of that. But frankly, we need to stop getting hung up on our faults, our failures, our imperfections, what we lack, what we don't have, what we're not doing. We need to stop being hung up on all those things and instead focusing on Jesus Christ who lives in us by whom we have the hope of glory. And as Christ lives in us, that gives us a sure and certain hope that God has a good future planned for us, a future that cannot be overcome by our weaknesses, failures, and sins because Jesus in the cross is greater than them all and Jesus in the cross has paid for them all as we surrender to him. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would stir up hope in us. 
Stir up hope in us, this hope of glory that we have because Christ is in us. Remind us of that reality. Let us celebrate that reality. Let us rejoice in that reality. And because we know that Christ is in us, let us live, live every day with that hope of glory, that hope that the glory of Jesus would be manifested in us, that hope that the glory of Jesus would cause us to become mature in Christ. We love you. We praise you. We worship and adore you as we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.